Hi gang, thanks for downloading this classic episode of News Fighters. Just a reminder, if you're looking for new original episodes of News Fighters, they're now over on the Irrational Fear podcast feed. So search for Irrational Fear on your podcasting app or go to irrationalfear.com for all new episodes of News Fighters. In the meantime, enjoy this classic News Fighters episode. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sandspants Radio, Australia's most procedurally generated podcast network. This is News Fighters. Where we fight the news so you don't have to. With Dylan Behan. Hello, everyone, and welcome to News Fighters for today, Thursday, March 4th, 2021. And joining me later on the show is sociologist and political economist Ben Spies Butcher for a fascinating and educational chat about how the pandemic and JobKeeper may have brought Australia one step closer to implementing universal basic income. I think looking at public opinion, but also looking at what happened during COVID. What did people spend their money on? What did people spend their time on? And how can that help us? Um, build both a campaign for, but also design an effective basic income scheme that really does help people in Australia. First up, for fans of gigantic depressing books, the Aged Care Royal Commission finally dropped its massive report. A report two years in the making with more than 10,000 submissions and 600 witnesses has been released. Between them, the two Royal Commissioners made 148 recommendations contained in eight volumes. The government pledging $452 million to overhaul the sector. Yes, a $452 million pledge that says to older Australians, hey... The government values you almost as much as an extension at the Canberra War Memorial, which won $500 million in funding this week. Hey, maybe we can uh, convince the government to fund aged care better if we combine the two. Maybe we pay elderly people to uh, pose in uniforms uh, in the in those museum dioramas at the War Memorial. Uh, I think that the, the wax fruit would probably be, be more nutritious than the food they get in their aged care homes. No, okay, but seriously, what are some of the report's uh, recommendations? 148 recommendations, including an independent aged care commission and inspector general of aged care, transparent pricing, star ratings for aged care facilities, banning restraints, home care waiting lists cleared by the end of the year, minimum training standards for staff, laying out a five-year timetable. Great, but I'm not really sure why they need to do all that when, according to the aged care minister Richard Colbeck, aged care homes are already fulfilling their desired purpose. There are about 60,000 Australians 
who die in residential aged care on an annual basis, unfortunately, but uh, that's one of the functions of residential aged care. Yes, Minister Colbeck, you may want to just double check what the meaning of the word care is in, in your dictionary. Also, what was that about ratings? Star ratings for aged care facilities. Yes, great. Star ratings. We all know how useful they are. I mean, Jesus, your Uber driver can kidnap you and rob you and drop you in the desert. And at the end of the trip, you and your driver both look at each other and go, five stars, five stars. Yeah, five stars. You, you give me five, I'll give you five. I mean, what, what will uh, what will uh, star ratings in aged care look like? Your grandma might get kidnapped by ISIS and, and, and bitten by a shark and, and you and your family will be like, is four stars too harsh? I, I don't know. There was some controversy over the timing of the release of the 2800-page report as it dropped online at literally the exact same time as Scott Morrison held his scheduled press conference to take questions about the report in Sydney on Monday. However, Prime Minister Scott Morrison chose to hold his press conference today before the report was made publicly available. Yeah, it reminds me of the time my high school English teacher walked in and said, uh, today we're having a surprise test on the complete works of Victor Hugo. And everyone in the class was like, but we haven't read the complete works of Victor Hugo. And our teacher's like, check your email, I just sent it to you. Okay, pencils ready, comments. Anyways, this timing led to some testy exchanges with the demanding and entitled media who felt like they had some kind of right to maybe even possibly glance the thing they were there to ask the PM questions on. Can I just ask a question? You've had this report since Friday. You've given us half an hour's notice to attend a press conference. You tabled the report while we were here. How can we ask questions that are relevant to what's in the report without knowing what's in it? There'll be plenty of opportunities to ask many questions. But we're unable to ask them if you um, now. This isn't the only day that I'll be standing before you on this. Um, today I'm here telling Australia we've released the Royal Commission. Yes, because we know Scott Morrison is just great at answering whatever questions the media have the rest of the time. Well, I just reject the premise of the question. I don't understand the question. No, you cut one point two. No, I don't accept that. So, if people want to put questions, they're not allowed to put lies. Told the Senate inquiry. I think we're going to stay with the health of Victorians today. Andrew, I'm sorry, you've had several questions. Andrew, I'm sorry, Andrew. I know, but you don't run the press conference, okay? To comment on gossip of stories about other stories. Does that mean it's not true, though? It means it's gossip. But not true. It means it's gossip. But not true. I think I've answered the question. Okay, so today on News Fighters, we're looking at the future of work in Australia, and part of that is uh, industrial relations, something uh, Anthony Albanese and Labor have been talking about quite a lot the last couple of weeks. And you can tell it's starting to look like an election campaign because uh, Anthony Albanese has been spotted wearing an Akubra hat. Uh, and he was also campaigning up in Queensland, where he came up uh, with this original slogan. I've got a message for Queenslanders, which is, I'm on your side. I have a very clear message for the working people of Australia. Labor is on your side. I mean, it's bad enough. Albo often looks like he's copying the dress sense of Scott Morrison. He doesn't have to uh, copy the language, too. We're on your side. That's what matters. We're on your side. Okay, and so while he was up in Queensland, Albanese was trying to talk industrial relations. Signs an election could be on the horizon as the opposition leader pushes a raft of proposals to reform industrial relations, focusing on job security. 
Yes, job security, something definitely weighing on the mind of Albanese lately if you look at the polls. And from a personal standpoint, as someone who works in television, I think I had job security once about 15 years ago when I had uh, my only uh, full-time ongoing uh, job, which uh, my boss left me thousands of dollars out in unpaid wages and super. Uh, And I'm not the only person who works in television who seems to be jealous of anyone uh, with job security. Uh, Even ask Sky News' Andrew Bolt. I am sympathetic to the job insecurity argument. And I have to say, I do have some sympathy. Everyone, I think, would like more security. I'm sure of that. Yep, sounds like someone's contract is up for renewal. Uh, So Albo delivered his big IR speech up in Queensland. What did he have to say? Many of you work in industries that are not properly valued and rewarded. Yes, like podcasting or being an Australian opposition leader during the pandemic. Uh, Here's a summary of uh, Albo's big uh, industrial relations proposals. Minimum rights for gig economy workers, job security inserted into the Fair Work Act's Portable leave entitlements, that's enabling those when they shift between one job to the next to take their sick pay with them uh, and their other rights with them. A new test determining when a worker is classified as a casual and labour hire workers making sure that they're paid the same for doing the job as somebody who is a fixed employee. Well, well, that all seems pretty fair to me, but not to Adam Creighton, the economics editor from Murdoch's Australian. The reality is uh, that Labor you know, wants to declare war on the casual, the casual side of the of the labour force. Yes, labour is declaring war on casuals. Because if there's one thing you do when you declare war, it's you make sure your opponent has improved living conditions and can pay their rent and get sick leave. One of the controversial labour proposals was around leave, which is what a lot of voters are doing to labour right now. Labour is promising workers in the gig economy better conditions and annual and sick leave entitlements. Promising to consult if it wins government. To develop where it is practical, portable entitlements for annual leave, sick leave and long service leave. Yes, of course, which uh, left many young people asking, what the hell is annual leave, sick leave and long service leave? I mean, sick leave and medical leave, the only time you ever hear anyone being able to take that is when they're coalition MPs, mostly. I've discussed with the Prime Minister today that after speaking with my own doctor, I'm going to take a short period of leave. Minister Reynolds has uh, taken medical leave. Deputy Premier John Barillaro has announced that he is taking a mental health break. The Nationals leader will take up to four weeks leave. Okay, seriously though, it's not just politicians. Everyone's health is important. And that's something that was really brought home during the pandemic when we really didn't want people to go to work when they were sick. There's this thing called coronavirus. You could give it to your co-workers and bloody kill them. So, of course, Labor's proposal to give insecure casuals the same basic sick leave entitlements as full-time workers enraged the Liberal Party, including Attorney General Christian Porter, who is literally taking sick leave this week. An unlimited, unqualified promise for all workers with insecure work to have access to sick leave, annual leave and long service leave, things that casual workers and independent contractors have never had access to. That is probably one of the most dangerous business-smashing undertakings, uh, election policies, in the history of Australian industrial relations. Yes, and the coalition knows a lot about smashing businesses. I mean, by ending JobKeeper this month, they're going to smash a lot of businesses in arts, hospitality and tourism, leading to thousands of job losses. But don't worry, says Scott Morrison, because less jobs equals more jobs. Somehow. So is that 100,000 jobs going, is that pessimistic or realistic? Well, we'll see what, how ultimately happens. Okay. But um, 
when jobs are also lost, jobs are also created. Yes, he's right. Everyone losing their jobs does create more jobs, mostly for debt collectors, police officers, ambulance workers and undertakers. You name it, there's going to be new jobs. But back to Albanese's uh, IR proposals and, and check out this radical lefty socialist garbage. Also proposing a minimum wage for gig economy workers. Yes, paying workers a minimum wage. Ugh. Of course, the Liberals were absolutely enraged by this idea. Well, no one in Australia should be paid under the minimum wage. That is contrary to the law of Australia that exists at the moment. That's an enforcement issue. That's not an issue about how you structure employment in Australia. This is the most colossal, radical change to employment relations in Australia's history. Okay, okay, let's pull that apart. First of all, Christian Porter there says, of course everyone should get paid the minimum wage. But then he says... Changing the law to make that legally binding for gig workers is a colossal radical change? Does he not realise a huge section of the economy, from fruit pickers to food delivery drivers to even journalists, are paid per item or per job and therefore often work for below the minimum wage? And it wasn't just Christian Porter. Here's a Victorian Liberal MP, Tim Wilson, refusing to say that uh, people receiving less than the minimum wage is, is bad. If you're a gig economy worker, say you're working in Uber Eats and you're getting way below the minimum wage, that's not fair in today's Australia. Do you agree with that? Well, I think Anthony Albanese's plan is one uh, that will cut jobs and wages uh, for many Australians. So, so what does that mean on gig economy workers? As I said, if, say, an Uber Eats driver that's found to be working way below minimum wage, is that just... A case of, well, that's the risk you take. If you don't like the, the salary you get, don't do that job. Well, we have to look at all of these uh, situations uh, carefully, but what we shouldn't be doing is imposing a plan uh, that's advanced by the union's interests. It's a pretty simple question as to whether you think there should be some sort of legislated minimum wage for these workers. Are you saying there should well, well, we not have, be? We have a minimum wage in Australia, but people are obviously choosing different conditions, but... Uh, it comes back to what the approach the Labor Party is taking, which is one where they want to impose a standard because mm. they see it as in the interests of unions and regulators rather than the interests of workers. I don't know about you, but I think getting paid at least the minimum wage is something every worker would probably be interested in. Uh, have you tried doing a survey on that? Hello, sir. Are you at all interested in making more than $5 an hour? Nah, not interested. Sorry. I, I just like getting magic beans. I mean, it sounds like these Liberal MPs literally don't know what the word minimum means. I, I wonder if they go out for fish and chips in Melbourne and order minimum chips. Do they feel ripped off if they only get two chips? Well, uh, that is uh, technically a minimum of chips and not getting more is simply an enforcement issue, I believe, or, or something Labor would be pushing for. So I, I will be quite happy with paying $3.50 for my two chips, as this is what the free market has given me. Oh, and speaking of chips... Well, there is concern that fast food workers' pay could be as cheap as chips under new industrial relations changes. Fast food giant McDonald's has made a submission to the government's proposed industrial relations legislation, arguing that non-monetary benefits for workers be included in any better-off overall test. And, of course, we all know this is going to end horribly because every smart-ass 15-year-old Macca's worker is, from time to time going to ironically choose a take-home pay of 45 hot apple pies over actual money. That's what 15-year-old smartasses do. Trust me, I know. Oh, and speaking of young people, Tim Wilson also has a great idea for getting young people into houses. Raid their retirement savings. But there's only one policy 
that is making it harder for young Australians to uh, save for a deposit because they're having up uh, tens of thousands of their dollars of their money locked away in super rather than being able to be used for a home. It should be home first, super second. Yes, home first, super second. Sounds great. So why stop there? I mean, I hear most young Aussies have at least two kidneys and only use one. Uh, so why not make the platform home first, kidney second? These policy ideas that sound like they're helping young people that actually only enrich uh, older homeowners make me want to gouge my eyes out. So how about this? Home first, cornea second. Anyways, back to the gig economy. And Herald Sun columnist Terry McGran went on Sky News and argued, why the hell would any gig economy worker want to get paid the minimum wage when they're actually all in training to be the next Steve Jobs? There's no way somebody in the gig economy wants to be promised a 40-hour week with union protections. They want to invent the next Amazon. They want to invent the next Apple. Yes, because we all remember the legendary story about how Steve Jobs invented the Apple computer while delivering Happy Meals to hungover ad executives in Silicon Valley for $2 an hour before he distractedly crashed his bicycle into a bus and died horribly, all because he was trying to keep the delivery algorithm happy so he could get more underpaid jobs. McGran also offered this insight. And how's Anthony Albanese really wanting saying the future for the gig economy lies in 1950s style labour regulation? Oh, yes. Let's not go back to those horrible 1950s where workers could pay off a house with one nine to five job and have enough time left over to have children and hobbies. Oh, my God, it sounds horrible. How did people live in suffering like that? Well, I know what you're about to say. But Dylan, consumers are addicted to the convenience and addicted to the cheap McFlurry deliveries at 5am. There's no way anybody's going to want to pay more for that. Well, you're wrong. And customers say they'll happily pay more for deliveries if it means a better deal for casuals. I would be happy to pay more, yeah. They've got to earn a living too, just like everyone else. Yes, not everyone should be expected to work for poverty wages just to make everything addictively affordable for everyone else. As Labor's Tony Burke points out here on Sky News. Foxtel subscriptions could be cheaper if everybody at Sky News was paid less than the minimum wage. But it would be a ridiculous thing to do. Everything could be cheaper around Australia. They're pretty cheap anyway, very affordable, I might say, and everyone should have one. Well, not everyone at Sky News is well paid. I hear that Alan Jones's remuneration package is just rotting fish heads in the blood of virgins. Anyways, so looking over this whole IR debate, the Liberal Party holding tight to their belief that only full-time permanent workers deserve to get paid the minimum wage or be entitled to sick leave, while they themselves take as much sick leave as they want whenever they want it, well, it makes me feel physically sick. In fact, it makes me feel so sick that I'd probably take a sick day if it was something I was legally entitled to, but until then, <coughs> I guess I'm just going <coughs> to have to go to work with this, cough and this fever. <coughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, joining me now on Newsfighters is Dr. Ben Spies Butcher, Discipline Chair of Sociology at Macquarie University, who is here to talk about one of my favorite topics, universal basic income. Now, thanks for coming on the show. I love that for, for researching this interview, I got to do one of my favorite things, which is listening to a lot of Andrew Yang podcasts, which I love. <laughs> now, tell me about um, uh, this study you did and, and how, did it, how did it come about? Uh, so, I mean, first of all, it's probably useful just to say what is basic income. It's, yes, it's yeah. um, having a guaranteed payment that's at least enough to basically live on that everyone's guaranteed as a matter of right and you don't have to do anything specific for and mm-hmm. no one kind of monitors you or gets you to fill in forms. So that's the idea. And I've been interested in the idea for a while and I've been working with some other people who have been and some people who are a bit sceptical about some people who are really into it. Um, and we teamed up with uh, Ben Phillips, who works at uh, ANU and developed uh, one of the main models used to model the Australian economy and to model all of the tax and spending stuff that the government does in the economy. And so we wanted to see, well, what would it look like if you tried to do it in Australia? Mm -hmm. Uh, We designed a model which is kind of built on um, some work I'd done with a, a colleague at Sydney, Troy Henderson, Uh, looking at how it is that these kinds of things have come into existence in the past. What are the things that look most like it in Australia? I think it looks probably most like a basic income is the age pension. So it it still means, but it's, you know, kind of just enough to live on. People top it up with their super or whatever, or they, it doesn't. You can can have other income, you can do other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so that's the kind of idea. And we said, look, we're going to do model it on something that looks a little bit like that. But first, the, the first point we went with was, is there a difference between paying tax on your income mm-hmm. and what currently happens to people who are on all forms of government payments, which is when they earn money, they lose their benefit. So if you're on job seeker, what used to be new start, mm-hmm. and you earn some money, you lose money at 50 or 60 cents in the dollar. Yeah. And we said, is there, there's no difference between that and paying 50 or 60 cents in income tax. Mm. So one of the most obvious ways to do this is to take the kind of basic payment and just to reduce the, that means test down so that it, it just matches what the, the income tax system is. So that everyone pay loses the same amount of the money that they earn. Uh, and the more money you earn, the more you lose. So it's a progressive rate. And so we modeled that and we said, let's do a basic income based on that. We're going to base it on uh, what was then Newstart, but Newstart plus $75 a week, which was the, the ask that the ACOS were asking for. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went to say, will that break the bank? Will it cost just way too much money? It's just stupid to even think about it. And we found that it cost about half of what the budget deficit was um, this year. Uh, so COVID kind of just rewrote the rules on what's mm. possible. And, you know, it's a lot of money, but it's not it's not too much money. It's not money that the government can't pay. And that, that would increase tax, if we funded it through taxation, it would increase tax in Australia to about what it is in all the other rich countries in the OECD, because mm-hmm. Australia is actually a very low tax country. Then we looked at poverty and income inequality, and we found that actually for income inequality, it would really substantially reduce inequality. Back to the pre kind of market reform days, down to the levels that you find in Scandinavia and, and well below the OECD average. And you were proposing uh, 18500 a year, correct? So that's about 350 bucks a week. It, it's not a lot of money. Um, and for most people, that means they're still going to be working um, and getting income from other sources. But it, it does provide a guaranteed back, backstop for everyone. Yep. And it also means that you don't necessarily have to be working full time. We, we also kept the rest of the benefits system in place. So if people who are getting more money than that, Great. we left them getting money than that. So people on disability support pension, for example, the age pension. That's one of the big arguments against UBI is is I think a lot of people in America will use it to, to take away other forms of welfare. So you don't want that to happen if a single mum with four kids is, is making more money um, that way. Yeah, completely. So um, we left that in place. We left rent assistance in place too. So um, obviously people with private rental market would get more money as well. Because three hundred and fifty a week, you know, almost covers your rent in Sydney if you share. <laughs> Completely, <laughs> no, and um, and that's a you know it's a, it's a real challenge. And one of the debates about basic income is, you know, it's it's pretty expensive and it doesn't get you a long way for most people, right? Like that's not mm. a lot of money. And has there been any studies done, or has your study looked at what percentage of people will uh, keep working and what percentage of people will uh, just play video games or what percentage of people just spend all the money on drugs? Like, are there any health uh, health influences there or anything we have to be worried about? Yeah, look, we've got some uh, trials that have happened, a bunch that happened in the 60s and 70s in North America, a bunch more recently, particularly in Finland. There's some going on in Africa and India, some central for the US. Uh, and we have uh, people who are looking at what people did with their COVID supplement payments as well yes. right now. A lot, of, a lot of pokies I heard. No, that was just the super they pulled out. <laughs> yeah. So so it's actually, it looks like it's actually the opposite. Okay. Um, so in, in North, the North American studies, they found that there was a small drop off in um, paid work, but that was dominated by uh, women who had just had a child and young men who had just completed high school. Uh, who were going back into education. So it actually, it did have an effect of, we might say, helping people do things that we might think are socially valuable. That is caring for young children mm-hmm. and undertaking further training. Mm. Um, in Finland, they found there was no negative or positive effect. So it didn't lead people to work more or less than they did before, but it did lead to uh, much better uh, mental health. Um, of course. Feeling the sort of economic security. It led to an increase in trust in government and trust in society as well. Um, and we've seen from some of the preliminary results in Australia, say in remote Indigenous communities, that there's a real uptick in uh, the sale of fresh food. Um, and we do have some evidence that actually led to people spending more time looking for work um, because they had a little bit more money to be able to... It's actually quite expensive looking for a job. Yes, uh, I know. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So, uh, so actually, most of the evidence is that people use the money pretty well. Um, they use it in lots of different ways, but there isn't any strong evidence that um, it leads to socially undesirable behaviour, really. The only evidence of that in the United States, which I think, you know, with changing social norms, we would view differently now anyway, mm. is uh, there was some evidence that it left people who were in not great relationships to leave their relationships. Um, and, you know, I think now we would say that's great. You know, yeah. this is actually a really useful thing for people to be able to leave bad relationships. Yes. Um, when that came out in the early 70s, people had different views and, and saw that as a crisis. Of the wow. Family. Okay. Times have changed. Hard to believe yeah. economic security is, is good for people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Uh, one question, though, uh, if everyone gets uh, a UBI, what will happen to uh, lower skilled um, jobs? Will we turn into a country like Singapore, uh, where we need a, a workforce of uh, cheap immigrant labor to do the, the cleaning and the cooking and that, and that kind of stuff? So if, if everyone in your society gets a basic income, it doesn't lead to that. But yes. if only citizens get the basic income yeah. and you have a whole group of people who are not citizens... Mm. Uh, particularly, as we found it during COVID in Australia, you have a whole group of migrant uh, workers or, or migrant students yeah. who are not able to leave and not able to access any form of government assistance. Yeah. Uh, then you create really dangerous conditions for people doing uh, hyper-exploited jobs. Mm. Um, so, yeah, look, if the, it depends how universal, yes. how, how universal income is, I suppose. But it should you would think lead to an increase in the bargaining power of workers at the at the lowest paid jobs mm. because they have an exit option, right? So if they're in a really crappy job, it's easier to leave. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, you know, thinking it through, we, we often think about jobs as a full-time or nothing kind of thing. You know, we think exactly. do people have jobs that they're not. And that's increasingly not that appropriate for countries like Australia, where we not only have lots of casual work and part-time work, but we also have an underemployment crisis. Those people who don't have enough work and want them. Um, so, yeah, I, how it interacts with that, I think that's an interesting question. It almost certainly pump lots of money into the poorest regions of the country. Mm. Um, so it probably will lead to an uptick in economic activity in those areas and create yes. Would it taper off? I think the figure I read was if you made over 180 grand a year, um, you'd get nothing. So then how would that work? Would it be based on last year's tax return or would you get more more of a refund? Or How exactly would it work uh, physically? Would everyone just get money in their bank account and then a higher tax bill at the end of the year? As a freelancer, I'm not in favor of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's again a good question. So what we were saying is we should integrate the payment system and the tax system so they speak to each other and become one system. Mm. So people who are earning, say, under 20 grand are getting the vast bulk of it. People who are earning 80 or 90 grand get a little bit but not heaps and by the time you get to 150 grand you're getting a few dollars a week and then you get nothing over 180 grand. Now, exactly how that works on a week-to-week -week basis um, depends on how well you integrate the welfare and tax systems. Gotcha. Particularly so we don't stigmatise welfare as being something... You know, those queues of people outside Centrelink. Yes. I mean, have you ever seen queues of people outside the tax office? It doesn't happen. <laughs> no. Like it, the systems we set up for rich people are much, much more responsive than the systems yes. we set up for poor people. 
Though, though I do, I do feel like I do feel like COVID has destigmatized it a lot because it feels like everyone was everyone was happy to get job seeker or job keeper during COVID. So that that may be a thing of the past. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we're we're, we're seeing whether we can reintroduce stigma and um, poverty and homelessness at the moment. I mean, true. it's really true that we did get rid of them, right. That's yeah. COVID did completely do that, and that happened by effectively creating a form of what we're talking about, which is mm-hmm. getting rid of all of the conditionality on. Um, so there's no work test, there's no work for the doll. Yes, no happened. assets test. That was gone, which was great. So, but you know, you still had a means test of, of some form. Yeah. So it's kind of operates a little bit similar to what we were talking about. Uh, and we did find that that got rid of stigma. We did find that that led to better health outcomes for people and better mental health outcomes for people. Uh, but we know that we're currently in the process of reintroducing mutual obligation, mm-hmm. reintroducing work for the doll. Uh, the the ban on evictions is now being unwound. We know that the solutions to homelessness, where we, we virtually got rid of sleeping rough homelessness, mm-hmm. not the only kind of homelessness, but one of the um, most intense forms, mm-hmm. we virtually got rid of that within a fortnight yep. through concerted government action. And we are now reintroducing it mm-hmm. quite deliberately by get, closing down those solutions so that people will be back on the street. Mm-hmm. We are phasing out the increase in job seeker so that we are going to put people back below the poverty line i think we actually have had a real life experience of what the benefits of this kind of system that it is possible for governments to do it but we are now seeing a politics which instead of keeping that is returning us back to a situation where more people are in poverty more people are in homelessness Mm. Uh, and that unfortunately seems to be you know not just politically possible but even popular and that's something i think we really have to think through and work out some of the alternatives to it. But I, I think there's enough evidence to suggest that there is appetite to have more of this debate. Just needs a good three-word slogan, like JobKeeper for All or something. <laughs> <laughs> Any- I reckon basic income is not bad. Yeah. Everyone, everyone has a right to not starve. Oh, radical. What a radical idea. Um, all right, Ben, thanks for your time. Great chatting. Uh, as, a podca- right. as a podcaster, I'm all in favour of this idea because then I can get paid to do my podcast. <laughs> more evidence that people do good things than they get <laughs> unconditional money. Exactly, exactly. All right, thanks for your time and uh, speak you. again sometime. Thanks, Ben. Bye. Okay, that's News Fighters for today. News Fighters is written, presented and produced by me, Dylan Bain. For Sandpans Radio. Big thank you to Ben Spies Butcher to support the show and hear uh, the extended interview with Ben. Uh, subscribe to Sandspants Plus at sandspantsradio.com slash plus. Don't forget you can listen to past episodes and check out our website at newsfighters.com or buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash newsfighters. You can email us at podcast at newsfighters.com and if you're watching on YouTube, why not hit subscribe? Thanks for listening, everyone. Keep fighting, and bye for now. This is News Fighters, where we fight the news so you don't have to. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.